how we see our boards. We often see them as a nuisance, a necessary evil, a kind of legal requirement, rather than this incredible resource that as executives we can call upon and to make our jobs easier and to kind of grow the charities. I think we often don't see them as useful and that's part of the problem in this relationship. Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. A very warm welcome to Purposely. I thought we could start by understanding the vision and mission of getting on board. We work on the accessibility and um, diversity of trustee boards, so our non-profit boards, which at the moment are positively Victorian in their composition across the sector. So we've got two thirds of trustees are male, two thirds are over 50, three quarters of trustees are from households above the the national median for household income. So as a body, our trustees are wealthier, uh, maler, whiter, older than wider society. And then we've got lots and lots of gaps around, for example, things like lived experience. So lived experience of the thing that a particular charity is seeking to tackle and getting on board works on that, which is a really actually a fascinating area to work on um, and impacts every single charity. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a really lovely job actually. board members charity trustees are the most senior leaders in our charities and we don't pay very much attention to how we recruit them and to who's on them so still the most common way of becoming a trustee in the UK is by being asked and that just kind of um you know if you if you're in a group of people and you ask people you know to join you in that group of people you're going to recruit more people like you so this isn't saying that you know we don't that there's anything wrong with the people that are joining our boards it's just we are fishing from a very narrow pool of talent and it's a total own goal to recruit in that way and I think we can ask ourselves as charities how do we recruit our staff so if we need a staffer at any level of the ladder whether it's CEO receptionist finance director, project manager, why is it that we don't just ask our mates whether they know someone who'd be good for the job? And the answer is because that's not that's not the way we think we're going to find the best match for the job. But that's exactly how we recruit our trustees. So it's kind of weird and bonkers that we still primarily do it that way. So it was started in 2004 by somebody called Sarah Hodgkinson, um, who sadly died a couple of years ago. Um, and she set it up because she, she was quite senior in a big corporate and she recognised that there wasn't an easy path for senior professionals to step into charity board roles. I became a trustee because of getting on board, because I met Sarah a few times and she kind of, you know, she talked about trusteeship and I thought, well, that sounds absolutely brilliant. I want a piece of that. So, so my kind of voluntary trusteeship career also came out of getting on board yeah wonderful there's a team behind you how did how do you guys set up in terms of um day to day so i guess the first thing to say is that we are microsco- microscopically small so you know our last filed annual income was seventy thousand pound for the whole of getting aboard for the whole charity so we're very 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 small um we really punch above our weight so people are always really shocked by how small we actually are we've got 
um, three part-time core team members. That's me and my colleague Fiona, who leads on our comms, and Daisy, who leads on our, our training. Um, and then we've got a kind of family, really. It feels like a family of expert associates, freelancers who, who run our programs, who do our training for us. And then we've got like a really wide community of people who just think what we do is important and support, support us in lots and lots of ways by, I guess, amplifying our message. Yeah. And just quick um, list of the stuff that you do. Um, you know, training is a part of it, isn't it? Um, yeah, so, so we work on both sides of the, the trustee thing. So we work with people who are potential trustees and then we work with charity leaders who want to know about diversifying their boards and about recruiting trustees professionally. And um, we've got free, really good free guidance on becoming a trustee and recruiting trustees. And then everything else we do is primarily training. So we train people in what is this trusteeship thing and can I be one along to how to serve as an effective trustee, how to find a role. And then on the other side of the coin, we, tra we train charities in um, how to diversify their boards, how to recruit trustees uh, and, you know, from kind of half hour intros right up to our flagship programme Transform, which is a small cohort of charities actually recruiting trustees. The majority of charities, trustees have to be hands on because there is nobody else to do the work. Kind of medium to large organisations that have staff. Again, I think it really, really depends. And I think most charities would like trustees to be governance only because they'd like to be resourced enough to have people to do the stuff, <laughs> to have you know to have enough people in the staff team to, to do the doing. But for many charities, they just haven't got the they haven't got all of the resources that they need to make that a reality. I don't think. been using uh, board, you know we're not proactive in using board terms and we just let people sit there and sit there and sit there um, and I think if we're doing it right we recruit people because we know they're going to be useful to us which you know if we're if, if we're undergoing a digital transformation which most of us are <laughs> right now and therefore we recruit somebody with amazing digital skills to our board it's likely that we're going to need them to use those skills and I don't mean we're going to have them sitting there you know literally writing social media posts but they're probably going to do some of the you know helping us write the strategy connecting us with other people who might be able to give staff some training I don't know you know researching software or platforms so they're like you know if we're bringing them in for very specific reasons like that they are likely to need to do some of the doing aren't they yeah agreed and it, you know could we completely transform things by uh, paying our, our trustees uh, and then not being voluntary like is there is there a sort of argument for that do you think Wow. I mean, that, yeah, that's a big topic, isn't it? I think on the whole, I'm against paying trustees. Um, I think that, first of all, you know, we were just talking about the size of charities. So for the majority of charities, this is an absolute non-issue because they couldn't afford to pay trustees. And the majority of charities are very, very small, financially speaking. So this is just not an option. And that in itself worries me because, if it's not an option for the majority of trustees, does that mean does that mean we then end up with a two tier charity sector where we've got the big the biggies paying and the smaller charities not paying? Um, I also think that in terms of diversifying boards, you know, this is often an argument. If we paid people, we could diversify, and and there's truth in that. But the issue is that the charities that are often saying that have literally never advertised openly for trustee positions, have literally not tried anything else. So to go from asking people in your network, inviting them to join your board to saying, oh, we need to diversify, we'll pay is a massive leap without ever having tried anything in the middle. Um, 
Uh, and I think probably an unnecessary leap at this stage. Like we need to we need to try the actual the, the things that we know work in terms of diversifying boards. We need to try those things first. Lived experience, in my experience, is important. So you know, if um, I've worked for HIV charities, for example, in the past, and and having people on the board who understand what it's like to be, have HIV, or certainly what that journey is, uh, an ideal mix of lived experience and skills. Um, and and when you advise charities, do you do you advise them in a certain way? So, I, so I don't think there's a kind of percentage of you've got to have a certain number of board members who t- who are ticking this box and then the other box. I think. I would argue that lived experience is really absolutely essential. Um, It's harder to identify what it is for certain charities. So if you're a countryside charity, for example, what does lived experience mean for you? If you're an animal charity, what does it mean? If you're a HIV charity, it's much clearer. Um, And we did some research and we were told that 60% of charities didn't have lived experience of what they were seeking to tackle on their boards. So it's, it's a massive area of underrepresentation. And I think, there's a lot there's lots of things to say about this one is that um if people come in under a lived experience ticket they're often not valued as highly as people with professional skills and i think that's really wrong um another issue is that we tend to pigeonhole people so we think you're either lived experience or your professional skills you couldn't possibly be both which of course can't be right um and i think there's a big issue around disclosure of lived experience because of those issues so people you know it's often very traumatic to disclose some of these issues anyway but if you have added to your you know that your your trauma the fact that you are probably quite acutely aware that if you do share you're going to be treated differently less favorably um then that adds a kind of another level of complexity doesn't it to whether whether board members who are already there disclose their lived experience that the board members around them actually aren't currently aware of because i know that's fairly common from messages that we receive just from a youth or getting younger people involved, is, do you find it's harder? Do you find there's a barrier for them? Barriers to becoming trustees for young people. Ecclesiastical, the insurance, did a massive research study. We've done some focus groups. And what is really, really interesting is that the barrier of thinking it sounds boring ranks as the lowest barrier in both of those studies. Um, the biggest barriers for young people to becoming trustees are they don't know about it. They don't know what it is. Um, they think they've got nothing to offer they think they won't be taken seriously which isn't the same thing I don't think and then some really really practical barriers around they don't know how to make it happen so so um you know oh they like the sound of it but how on earth do you become one and of course that goes right back to the problems that we have in our system if we think that only an estimated 10 percent of vacancies are ever advertised so it is not as simple as just saying I fancy becoming a trustee I'll go and look at some vacancies because um in certain towns and cities there are literally no advertised vacancies because their volunteer centers have shut down it's normally the reason um yeah so there's some real structural um kind of barriers there and i think this idea of things being serious and putting people off is really interesting because i feel like we have this narrative around oh they wouldn't want to be a trustee like young people wouldn't want to be a trustee but the problem is we forgot to ask them we yeah. forgot to say to them would you quite like to be a trustee <laughs> because actually when you know when you say to people if you talk to people in a different way about trusteeship which is do you fancy directing a charity do you fancy being the most senior leader within a charity that you care about in a, you know working for a cause that you really really are passionate about most you know it's not everybody's cup of tea but lots of people think that sounds absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that sounds great. Tell me more. And that doesn't 
that doesn't work along age lines. So it's not like older people think that sounds more interesting than younger people think it sounds. Actually, that isn't the case. In terms of your own personal experience, so you're on a few boards. Um, I bet you're both, you know, a real asset because you see a lot of these issues. Um, uh, and I imagine the charities that you're uh, director of or you're a trustee of, um, I bet they have a sort of uh, cycle policy. I, I bet there's a really good induction. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I, do you like sitting on boards yourself? Is it, is it a space you operate in and enjoy it? I love it. I mean, I, I guess I couldn't do this day job if I wasn't a trustee myself. And I was, I've been, a, I've been being a trustee for about 11 years. So this came before getting on board. And it's something I personally just really, really, really enjoy. Um, and I guess I try to be a good trustee. And I think I think I'm, I try to be really self-aware and I try to be aware of what I'm not very good at as well. And I think we need a bit more of that in our board members. We need board members to be less puffed up and more self-aware and, and thinking, actually, I'm here to learn as well. I'm not just bringing this this expertise that happened to happen to have picked up in this other part of my life also I'm here to learn I'm here to say I don't know um, I'm here to ask for help and I think sometimes we're missing that on our boards yeah and I think often a pain point is commercial experience trustee comes into non-profit and doesn't get the complexities and so there's a lot of judgment goes on and actually it's really hard being a CEO or a leader of a of a charity because you've you know you've you really held back on resource so trying to do business as usual and change for example at the same time can be really tricky um and that's that you know if we got this trustee board thing right um uh, then so many more ceos would stick around or actually there would be less turnover of staff generally or just things would be smoother and social impact or you know impact would happen um you know it getting it right is a huge incentive and it, and it will never be 100 perfect but um you know what you guys are doing is really important work i see i mean i think you've described there absolutely beautifully in a nutshell the kind of tension between what it's like to actually run a charity particularly a, a small to medium-sized charity which is the majority of the sector and and what it can be like being a trustee and the tension between if you've got a board packed full of people who work for large organizations with HR departments and data departments and marketing teams and then they come onto the board of an organization where the CEO is the data department the HR department the marketing team yeah. you know that that doesn't work does it and I think that to me that is a perfect example of why we've got to have a mix on our boards why it's not that we don't want people with that big commercial experience but we've got to have them sitting alongside people who who've got other experiences including the experience of running a charity and I think actually as CEOs we stand to benefit a lot by sitting on other boards and um, we get to see what it's like to be a trustee you know because it because it is a different responsibility isn't it um and we also can bring a lot to organizations particularly to the ceos of those organizations because as a trustee we can be sitting there and saying hold on michael who works for accenture or i don't know you know some huge law firm actually you know i'm a, i'm a trustee alongside you so i can talk to you as an equal and i can tell you that our ceo will not have the resource to do this thing you're suggesting unless we give them the resource find them the resource you know all yeah. actually do the job for them yeah 
yeah, no, spot on tension between boards and, and executive teams and the not, not for profits. I mean, it's been a really interesting period, hasn't it, for, for boards, uh, executive relations, the pandemic. I think a lot of boards have become, they, they've had their eye on the ball a lot more closely. They've been more operational in some cases. Some CEOs have been furloughed. So, you know, some boards that have been used to having paid teams haven't had the paid teams. And there's been some in, really interesting research coming out about how different sized charities have been affected by the pandemic and also the mental health. There's Ecclesi again, Ecclesiastical in a different survey, they did a survey on um, the mental health of charity leaders and it was very horrendous reading. Um, and I think sometimes in terms of the role, that's paid leaders, that's CEOs, in terms of um, the role of trustees in that, I think trustees need to remember they've got a duty of care to their staff. But also we need to remember that trustees are also people um, and and we at the beginning of the pandemic, we informally we were hearing about a lot of charities where a lot of the trustees were resigning. Um, and that was really worrying as a trend. And, and I, mean, I haven't got no data on this, but it felt like it, uh, there was a lot of resignations at the start of the pandemic and then it kind of calmed down. And, you know, on the one hand, you might say, oh, well, you know, that's typical. Of course, they're going to resign when the shit hits the fan and yeah. things are difficult and they're worried because the charity is going down the pan, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, we don't know what's happening in those people's lives. It might be that they've lost a loved one to COVID. It might be that they've got sudden caring responsibilities. It might be that they've lost their jobs. Um, and I think it's trustees are often forgotten when we talk about volunteers. They're often not seen as volunteers and they're also forgotten in terms of their own mental health and the stresses and strains of what it's like to um, oversee an organisation in a global pandemic. Yeah, because it really focuses your mind when there is a, a huge um, jolt or shift um, and, and that liability, you know, uh, whether it's from an income perspective or actually, you know, we're thinking hospices, um, you know, they're responsible for people's lives, um, yeah. whether, whether they, you know, they survive or not. Like huge... Um, you know, change happened last year and, and, you know, understandable. And, and then, you know, family members putting pressure on people to probably like rethink their responsibilities, all sorts of factors, like you say, not hundred percent clear. And, and it's good that that trend has reversed itself. Um, and of course, alongside that trend, we also saw a lot of people becoming trustees. So there was, there's been, and, and that's, I mean, there's been an increase in certain types of volunteering elsewhere as well, hasn't there? But certainly at getting on board, we, we saw a lot of people who were, like you say, re-evaluating life, but not from the perspective of, I've got too much on, I've got to shed something, from the perspective of, oh God, I'm at home now and I realise I've just spent the last 10 years doing nothing but working. And now I've got a little bit of space and particularly if people were furloughed, I've got a little bit of space to reevaluate. And actually I realise that I want to build in some purpose, which comes straight back to the subject of your podcast, doesn't it? You know, they wanted yeah. to build in purpose into their lives and becoming a trustee, you know, is one of the ways you might do that. I went to a big state school. I've got a really normal background and I went to Cambridge because one of my teachers told me I was brainy and I should apply. <laughs> so that's how I ended oh, up there. Fantastic. And then I was, was, it, was it a good experience? It was brilliant. I mean, like I was, I think I didn't meet anybody else whose mum was a cleaner. <laughs> I didn't meet many other people from single parent families, um, but I made some lifelong friends and I had an absolute brilliant time. And then when I did my, I did a master's after that and I needed, a, I needed some part-time work. So one of my jobs was, I got a job as an assistant manager of a charity shop and that's how I got my job at the 
um, association of charity shops because I, I couldn't even use a computer. I was terrible, <laughs> but I had worked in a charity shop, which happened to be one of the things they were looking for. Fantastic. And it kind of led you down this path um, in, in the sort of nonprofit sector and, and some really interesting roles that you had along the way. Um, what's, your, what's your superpower? Brainy, we've heard one of them. No, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Um, what's my superpower? Being practical, probably, and trying to surround myself with people who are better than I am. <laughs> like, I got a kind of sense of I'm all right at some stuff, but actually there's bound to be somebody else who can do this thing better. So I'll see if I can go and find them. And do you love what you do? I love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. I've been very lucky because I've always been... I've always looked for jobs by try, by looking at what do I think is interesting and fulfilling and just going for stuff. And I've taken a couple of wrong turns, um, but on the whole, most of my jobs have been really, really enjoyable and fulfilling and interesting and challenging. And what what's your hope for the sector? Like when you, when you think of, because um, it's a non-profit sector in the UK, is, it's big, uh, it's well-developed, it's centuries old. Um, and there's a lot of positive things. Um, what, what are the your hopes for it? And what, what would be, um, you know, some good developments? My hope is that we can kind of, you know, we're doing good stuff. We could be better if we can superpower our boards by throwing open the doors and attracting talent from a much wider base, then, you know, that's, that's gonna really, really kind of, um, I just it just feels like there's this epic potential and if, if we can get that right there's really massive potential to, to do more in the sector to have greater impact um, and it feels attainable like we've got a long way to go but actually we're not we're not talking rocket science here um a lot of our organizations we know how to do outreach we know how to recruit staff it's just when we're, we're not using those core skills when it comes to trustees and what would your advice be to someone who's sitting here listening to our conversation and they're thinking, hey, I wouldn't mind giving this a go. What would be your advice to them? In terms of somebody who's interested in becoming a trustee, so go to the Getting On Board website. We've got a brilliant free guide to becoming a trustee, which is written for people with no prior knowledge. We have monthly webinars on becoming a trustee. We run various programmes. So lots of information there. Um, you can look at vacancies, reach volunteer. If you're in the UK, reach volunteering is brilliant in terms of a digital platform where you can look at vacancies for trusteeships and sign up to receive them in your email inbox. So I guess they're, they're kind of two starting points. And I think really key, just don't count yourself out. We, there's this perception of trusteeship as being not open to people like me. Um, and actually, we actively need people like you. So don't, don't count yourself out before you've investigated it. And I think actually a passion and a motivation to to get you know to do it well, stand for probably more sometimes than than skills on paper. You know, like is if you have someone who's an accountant but they barely turn up to meetings and they're not really grappling with the financials, then pointless, right? Um, and having a passion for the cause and and that sort of the the purpose of it, I think, goes for a lot. Um, and I, I would sort of add in terms of, you know, if anyone out there listening and thinking they could play a leadership role or this type of role for an organization in the not-for-profit space would be, you know, choose an organization or cause that really means a lot to you, that you're motivated by. Um, just engage yeah. people, get to know them and just just don't give up on it. Just just kind of be relentless uh, in, yeah. your, <laughs> in your approach. 
um, and eventually they'll let you onto the board, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I mean that yeah you're you're absolutely right the passion is really really essential and that's another bit we've been skipping you know if we ask Michael from the golf course to join the board of the organization we're on the board of Michael might not give a shit about the the, the cause so we haven't been recruiting that way um, and we absolutely we need that both sides needs that the organization needs people who are passionate and people who are potential trustees also want that connection um, it's like I always think it might it's a bit it's been a while but I think it might be a bit like dating where it's got to be right for both sides and I think sometimes as recruiting organizations we forget that the person joining our board also wants to see that marriage made in heaven as well yeah agreed and have you or do you get brought into situations that are dire um, and is there an example that you're sort of most proud of where you've got you've you personally or the organization has made a difference to an individual or or a board um, and it's kind of transformed the, the charity? So we do hear of dire situations often. Um, I'd say that most of the things we hear about are mildly dysfunctional <laughs> rather than dire, but we do get some dires as well. Um, and in terms of getting on board roles, so our model is that we're not an agency. So we, we teach organizations how to recruit. So how, with a particular emphasis on radically changing the composition of their board. Um, so we can't, like, I wouldn't want to take the credit because actually most of the hard work is done by the organizational leaders who are normally the chair, a trustee or two, and, and the, perhaps the CEO. Um, but yeah, we've had loads of examples of organizations recognizing that they need to get wider expertise on their board and I think a key thing is if it, when as an organization when you're diversifying this is not about lowering the bar this isn't about saying oh we'll take a couple of people you know I don't know they're young or the people of color any will do this isn't about losing that this is about saying who do we need on our boards who are going to be really really useful to us and then how can we find those people from a very wide pool of talent. So, so it's still skills and knowledge first, absolutely, including lived experience. Um, and, and then really trying to do a lot of legwork about getting the advert out in the front, front of the people you'd like to see applying. Yeah, I think that's really good. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up and um, really good to hear about um, getting on board. And I think you guys are uh, performing a really important role um, because better boards mean better charities and more positive impact and change on people's lives. So, um, yeah, Matthew, thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Mark. Good to talk. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. I hope you like what you're hearing. Please subscribe and leave a review.